You're listening to Resident Advisors Exchange. I'm Martha. Thank you for being with us. This week, I'm excited to play you the recording of my conversation with Iconica. I'm really into being in the mindset of how music travels as if it was personified. All these little frequencies traveling through cables and then going through the computer and then back out into the mixer and then into something else and then coming back out. I wanted that kind of traveling to be heard. Iconica started releasing music in the noughties and is a core member of the Hyperdub family, having just dropped her latest record, Hollow, with them. We spoke about the role of record labels in 2020, about writing club music whilst growing an entire person during her pregnancy, and reflected on Iconica's osmosis into the early dubstep community. You're listening to Resident Advisors Exchange. My name is Martha and I'm joined with Iconica through the power of technology. Hello. Hello. How are you doing today? Um, yeah, all right. Just trying to stay cool. You're staying cool. You're in your home studio slash nursery, as I saw in the background there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be changed soon. I'm going to be moving into the living room. I'm just waiting for my fancy vinyl bookcase thing to arrive, okay. which I can't afford, but it's so good. At least it's going to look amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's you just have to do what you got to do, isn't it? We're going to spend some time um, talking about your journey so far as an artist today. Uh, but before we get into all of that, I would love it if you would take me all the way back and share with us your earliest memory connected to sound or music. Mm, yeah, um... My sisters, who are older than me, um, they had a really just entry-level Argos kind of Casio keyboard, um, but you could record on it, um, and I think you could just do like one overdub on it, but I, I used to use my dad's hi-fi to do all the other extra overdubs. So I used to kind of make these tunes that sounded a bit like TLC, like their mm. first album. <laughs> like, uh, what about your friends? Like I used to always just steal their little melodies and just try and do some drums and then like some like one finger keys and then try to sing over the top and record it on a cassette and just keep rewinding it and then doing overdubs and just layering it up. So I think that was my first experiments into sound. Mm, that's that's pretty advanced. Big up Argos facilitating that. Um, that. Yeah, that's really impressive. What age were you? I think about seven or something. Wow. I'm actually kind of blown away by that. When I ask that question, most people um, describe some sort of like memory that's a little bit vague, but you know exactly when you started having a go at music. and Yeah, but and only because yeah, but... you asked. 
I mean, nobody, I don't think I've ever told that to anyone, really. And well, I, I appreciate it, you sharing. Um, yeah, and I think it got lost. Like, that memory got lost somewhere mm. in between all my teenage years until I started, I don't know, you know, playing in bands and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, so... So you were playing in bands after that. Was that before you kind of came back to using hardware and software to make music? Um, so when I was 11, when I started secondary school, I started playing the drum kit. And I took, a, I took lessons for about two, three, no, 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 two, two years. So, but halfway through year eight, actually, sorry. Um, just because my parents found out the lessons were in, like during lesson time and they got pretty vexed and they were like, we're not paying to have music lessons, lessons when you should be in your woodwork lesson or whatever. <laughs> so yeah, my parents put a stop to that and my music teacher was pretty upset. Um, so he would let me practice the drums during break times and lunch times. And um, that's where I met. Um, well, no, they were in my class. I met two people in my class who were, well, one was into R&B like me, like R&B and garage and hip hop and mostly US club music at the time. And another person who was into Nirvana and like Alanis Morissette and Pearl Jam and um, Sonic Youth and all these grungy bands. So that was my first um, um, look into like rock music because I was just just interested in doing like fancy roles or playing like some fake jazz or something or just trying to play a hip-hop beat um so we started a little band I guess but we were just I think I was being used as the drummer because the guitarist really wanted to have some drums um and don't get me wrong this is like my best friend from day one so um <laughs> But it was just nice because we were collaborating and I didn't know the music and I was being given all these tapes and it was really cute and I would just learn the drums to to all, all these songs, all these Nirvana songs and Hole as well. Um, so that's when I started getting into like rock music, well grunge first and then I started getting more into like metal and hardcore and I guess like post-hardcore and emo. Um, so yeah, from the age of 11, 12, 13, them kind of years, mm. right through to my early 20s, I was into, I was a metalhead, metalhead, sorry. <clears throat> um, but, you know, I was still... Um, listening to pirate radio and you know I've, I've had this kind of weird music double life 
Mm. <laughs> and did you have a first like raving experience that um, really stands out to you? I used to go house parties with my sisters because um, my parents were both working and um, my sisters would just have to look after me. So I would go to all these all these house parties with so they're seven years older than me so they're like full teenagers Mm -hmm. and getting up to teenage things and um garage was popping off and you know I was just I was being taken to places with like people just spun in weed and um drinking and having fights and all this kind of stuff and but I was just dancing I was just next to the DJs being really interested in how they were like scratching tunes in or just mixing them, blending them. Um, so, you know, I wasn't going to go wandering off. So my sisters knew that I was okay by the DJ and, you know, they can go check their boyfriends or whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, that was my first Raven experience, I suppose. Um mm. I mean, I always used to remember my sisters sneaking out of their window, climbing down the back extension in the middle of the night and knowing they were going to like just the West End, doing like West End clubbing and then coming back home, you know, getting dressed halfway down the road and like, you know, in a car or whatever. And that was that. Um, so you were kind of observing these other DJs at house parties. Um, when did you get your hands on, um, what was your first music software you used, Fruity Loops? Yeah, I mean, so when I went to uni, it was it was kind of hard to like keep the band going because everyone just was doing different things. And I was in and out of a few bands. Um, and then I think... I was just couldn't be bothered with it. Mm. Like it was hard work and it's really hard work being a drummer with um, no car um, (laughs) and just traipsing along the tube with your cymbals and your double bass pedal. It's just, it's really hard work. Um, So I think I got sick of that. And um, I was working... I was working in Virgin Megastore in Camden, and which obviously doesn't exist anymore. Um, and I met someone there who was both into R&B, hip-hop, well, hip-hop more, and, um, and rock music. But they were into, like, um, stuff like Slint and um, all these, I don't, I don't know, I actually still don't know what that genre is, but whatever. Um, who in kind of, we had similar backgrounds and this person would later be my husband. So um, we had a connection, um, both being brown in Camden in this kind of indie rock environment. And um, we both started getting into grime at the same time. And... We were going to like gigs and stuff and and I just said it like I really I've always wanted to become a producer or a DJ and um, we got hold of like a crack copy of FL 
Fruity Loops, like Fruity Loops 4. And then eventually um, um, they bought me FL6 for Christmas. And that's when I really started to put my head down and and start making this sound that was half grime, half dubstep. It was when dubstep was slowly crossing over into grime. So it was like midnight request line, like jammer over midnight request line. I remember seeing that on like Channel U or something and just being like, mm, what are those like melodies? Um, so I was just trying to make tunes that were 140 BPM and I was just trying to sound like myself a bit like, you know, like Dizzy Rascal, I Love You, just like using like really harsh sounds and trying to use my metal background into those kind of tunes, but with like nice melodies and and like I was really into like Neptunes. Neptunes was just all over the radio. So mm. I had all those influences that I was trying to kind of channel into production. And I guess just experimenting. Like I didn't know the software but that well. But you know, with with FL it's more about clicking in blocks and just and and, and it's it's a sequencer and you know you, you don't really have to have much music theory you could just bash out sounds and collect some samples and just mess around with it within you know the actual plug-in the sampler um so yeah that was around 2005 mm. 2006 and and then I started going to nights like Forward and DMZ and Mass and also like Red Star in Camberwell and and just being really kind of actually impressed because all the clubbing experience I've ever had was with my sisters or at uni. Like I went uni at Kingston and I used to go works every Monday. And it was all very champagne and iceberg jeans. And I was impressed with like somewhere like Red Star because it was just a pub. It was just, mm. you had the upstairs bit and it was just a sound system and everyone just weirdly facing the DJ. And I've never really thought of the DJ as important. And so that was an eye opener to me because I was like, okay, this is dub plate culture. I get it now. And you're just like, like, I remember like seeing Code 9 and just being like, rah, he's got like the sickest dubs. And um, just going from there, basically, and just like each DJ had a really specific sound, even though they would play like other producers tunes it was just like, okay, when I go see Mala, I'm going to get this and it's going to be heavy. Um, and when I see Code 9, it's going to... He was playing a lot of grime at that point. So it was really... Some of it was colourful, melodic. Uh, mm. And then, you know, like... And then I'll see, like, Benga or someone and his, his stuff was, like, really, really danceable. 
it wasn't so like half step um so yeah that was that was me deep into dubstep and becoming a fan mm-hmm. and getting to answer your question now that's when <laughs> i got the i got my decks which um i got from my brother-in-law um because him and my sister were having a baby and um they were doing you know when i guess when like heteronormative people get married and have kids they get rid of their decks don't they so i got i took the decks and it was just i still got the turntables um but it it came it, the, the mix was really shit it was like a new mark two channel thing but yeah that's when i started buying vinyl and you know at this point i was i was still working in virgin i might have even moved to hmv at that time and there was like hardly any grime or dubstep vinyl I would always have to try and order them in and they would Mm -hmm. hardly ever come in because these distributors would have to wait for the box to be filled in order to send it to you so they're not wasting Uh. shipping costs or whatnot well this is what I've been told anyway but who knows (laughs) um but I could get a hand on all the tempo releases and all the hyperdub releases um I would have to go into like Soho physically to get, you know, the DMZ and, you know, hopefully they wouldn't be sold out. And you just, you know, you'd go uptown, Soho, Fonica and um, like Sister Ray and uh, what's the other one? The Soul Jazz one. Um, Sounds of the Universe. Sound, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you would just spend your whole Saturday just trying to find records and then just asking youngster in the basement like you know really shy and like croaking they got any like test presses or (laughs) um it was really an interesting experience um because it was like nerve-wracking for me actually because you you wanted all these records and you it was like okay, you couldn't really get them on the internet. It got me interested and it was exciting because it was like a a really fun game that you wanted Mm. to crack almost. And you just wanted them tunes. That's all you wanted. (laughs) You just wanted them tunes that you heard on radio, on pirate radio, on rinse or whatever. So yeah, that's how I started DJing, I guess. Mm. So tell me a bit more about how you went from being um, like a fan and a consumer and maybe like just someone that attended the parties to um, someone who is like actually part of that moment in UK music history. And what did that mean to you? Um, I used to always get weirded out that you would always see people you thought were famous, like seen famous, just like hanging out in the bar, just just there in it and you can actually just go up to them and chat to them or whatever mm. and it felt very real and very to me at least accessible um but I started messaging code nine yeah around 2006 2007 
just sending him tunes and him giving me feedback and uh, some back and forth and um, I was just in my parents' house just with my Newmark mixer and my Yamaha monitors which were just sitting on my window shelf and just like my setup was really basic it was just a Toshiba laptop um, which I was supposed to be doing uni work on um, <laughs> and just had two drum stools <laughs> one was my desk and one was my seat and just made um, made made tunes like that and then just sent them to 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 code and um, one of the tunes was please and he was like can you send me a wav i want to cut this on dub plate and i was just like what the hell's a wav <laughs> just like you know just things that you just weren't told or you don't know anything you're just trying to make tunes isn't it and just mm. you're like okay, you're going to cut it on dub play. This is a really big thing for me. And yeah, he would just, he would just always play that tune. And every time I heard him play that tune, it would just get reloaded. And I was just like, rah, I've made it. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the, this is, I thought that was just, that was the highest I was ever going to ever be. Like that was, that was it for me. I was, I was happy. And and I started hearing like flow down on it and stuff. And I was like, right, okay, maybe I actually built an all right tune. And I guess for that time, it was kind of a little bit, it was a messy tune. And it was kind of, I always thought it kind of plumped along, but it wasn't half step. It was just a bit more, it felt slower. And I remember people mm -hmm. being like, what speed do I play this on? Um, and yeah, it was just, it was just weird. And then, um, yeah. And then a few months after that, I was just like to code, do you want to release it? And he was like, yeah, sure. And that was just even like, like wowzers to me. Um, so that came out with Simulacrum on the, on the flip. And that mm -hmm. came out 2008. And then yeah. we did Millie and Direct um, was the follow-up. And during that time, Nine was like, you should start thinking about doing an album. Um, and I was in my like last year at uni. Um, but I was, I was pretty old because I, I fluffed uni first time around. Um, so I was just like, no, nah, I think I, I actually need a proper job. But he was like, yeah, this is your job. So <laughs> just do it. <laughs> um, yeah, I was still working at HMV and just working on tunes at night. And um, I started playing, started DJing kind of properly, like, um, like playing places like Hoya Hoya and Manchester and and I had a couple of gigs in like Amsterdam and stuff but I always felt that I still needed my day job just in case um mm. but I also needed to finish that album so um 
I don't know, I just quit one day. I just had my notice in my back pocket, just ready. Just, if my manager ever pissed me off like one time, I was just gonna <laughs> be like, yeah, here's my month's notice. And I ended up doing that right before the summer and then just finished the album quick time. And then, yeah, that came out uh, 2010. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned um, being introduced to Code 9 and kind of joining the Hyperdub family for releases. And obviously you've had like a consistent number of releases with Hyperdub over the years. Um, Do you have a particular approach when working with Hyperdub? Like, are there any kind of things that you want to go into a project with Hyperdub with in the back of your mind? Um, I know that my... Well, in the past, my mind has always kind of wandered a little bit and um, I've always tried to use outside influences to kind of um, give some kind of vision to the music and and kind of vice versa as well. So... Um, so the first album was, you know, very 8-bit and 16-bit computer game inspired. Um, and so I'm, I studied film at uni. And from there, I got really into science fiction and dystopian themes. And, um, and I think... Not that I wanted to do it on purpose, really, but it just kind of happened that with the first album, I just, I went back to those times where the first real kind of dance music or techno um, was from video games and mm. and how those melodies you would just end up kind of humming and whistling and um, and they kind of just just made their way into the into the pro- productions and I mean you know that time was like grime was uh, had a particular had had a a similar route with things sounding like video games and a lot of kind of street fighter punches and perfect and all this kind of stuff um so it kind of maybe grime just reminded me that like video games were formative to me and and I'm just kind of trying to connect the dots with where I am now as a film graduate who is getting really inspired by science fiction and then now having Hyperdub and Code 9 um, uh, within that now and it all kind of merges together just it just happens to merge together because that was I guess that's just the way it was and that was the path 
And at the same time, you were also holding this kind of admiration for R&B and almost like pop music, um, which like as far as I understand it, it's kind of like, I don't know, a bit of a radical thing to like, like those two opposing things, if if you want to call it that. Um, I think obviously it's like genre is way less defined these days but my understanding is that there was like a fair few people in that era who for some reason were you know very serious about genre definition at and like there wasn't room to be a fan of um genres that were deemed opposing um tell me a bit more about your relationship to R&B you touched on the TLC days of Argos creation um but what speaks to you most about the kind of sonics of it and um what do you look for in a vocal sample that you might be about to make a flip of? You see, with R&B, like, I, I was always just interested in the hook, the chorus, and the beat. I wanted to study the beat. And when I started learning the drums, that became more, you know, more important to me. And... And I was addicted to it. Like, I would always tap out stuff on the table, whatever, or, you know, I'd I'd carry my drumsticks everywhere and just start playing drums on the walls, coffee tables, wherever. And I just liked how simple stuff was. It was just loops. And, um, see, when I was in a band, we were always trying to... Like, not have verse, chorus, verse, chorus, but we were trying to do, like, part one, part two, part three, part two, part three, part... We were, like, trying to mix it up. And, yeah, those two things were very different. And um, I just... I don't know what it is. I think maybe I was just into the Sonics. Maybe... Mm. Maybe I loved all those Neptune's tunes because... They were just like, they sounded so futuristic. And um, like even with computer games and stuff like that, all those sounds like just so alien and just so like, just like amazing. Like it felt like the future was near and that finally we can have a hoverboard from Back to the Future too. <laughs> That's what it felt like to me. And so for that to be used as instruments, that was that was just, yeah, I wanted that. I wanted to make stuff like that. And, you know, even in my band, I wanted abrasive sounds. Um, I wanted, like, sick melodies. I wanted, like, crazy beatdowns. I don't know, just physically it felt good. Mm. And you just found a way to like make everything that you wanted to be in it fit in the tune. Yeah, and I I guess, you know, just being around sound systems and just feeling stuff in your chest and having your whole body shake from bass, that was just incredible to me. I wanted to make that. I wanted to, you know, have everyone's organs fail on the dance floor and stuff. Do you know what I mean? 
<laughs> I guess it was a weapon, you know, it's, you know, it's expression as well, but it just sounded sick to me, do you know what I mean? Let's talk a bit more about production. What were some of the like little systems or tactics or methods that you developed kind of early on for producing that you maybe still use or maybe you've just recently grown out of them? Um, like when you open up a project, what's the first thing you do? Always melodies come first and whatever sound I choose, um, there has to be an attraction there, like, it's, it's just, um, I think that's why I use the beep, a bleep, for so long, mm. because to me that sound is just normal to me, it's something familiar and it's kind of actually comforting to me and it's sparkly and 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 I just love writing melodies and I'm always trying to um you know push myself to see what I can get out of like either like one scale or like three chords I'm trying to exhaust what I've got I'm I'm trying to keep things simple and and build and build layers, basically, mm. and um, and so when I make a tune, I will concentrate on eight bars at a time. But an eight, that eight bar, that first eight bar loop has to bang for me, and I have to be able to listen to that loop over and over again in different rooms around the flat. Um, even if I if it's just a sketch I'll, and I need to get out the flat, I'll just bounce it and then just play it in the car or on my my headphones or whatever. And it has to, I have to see the potential of it, and I have to, it has to say something to me. It has to communicate with me. Um, so when I've got that down, usually what I what I actually like to do is just have an overloaded eight bar loop and then spread it out across mm. three to four minutes or whatever and and get that arrangement done and sometimes with my songs all you'll get is just melodies arranged with no drums maybe like a couple of percussions or percussion or hi-hats because I I hate listening to the metronome that's like the worst sound to me <laughs> so I need something that's gonna kind of set the tone so a little hi-hat can do a lot for me and mm. you know I'll get the arrangement done and then I'll start 
one by one choosing a sound and being and this is just in my later years this is recent production ways and just I'll just want to focus on one sound at a time and just make sure that sound is worth it basically and and it just goes from there until I can't fill the space anymore until everything's mm. gone and it's all filled to the max that's that's my idea of production <laughs> that's the approach yeah but it it's just little simple things just built up that's it and um you know i'm i'm trying to make tunes that i want to hear myself i do it for myself um mm. so it has to move me if it's a club tune, it has to be functional for me as a DJ. And I think actually that's quite um, an interesting balance that I've had throughout the years is that I forget that I'm a DJ sometimes and and I'm not making shit friendly for a DJ or there's too many melodies going on that the next DJ cannot put another melody on top of this. Um, so I've been trying, like, even with this, like the last two EPs, so this forthcoming Hyperdub one, or maybe when you listen to this, it'll be out. And mm. the Don't Be Afraid EP, it was, um, I had to find the balance, really. Um, because, okay, the Don't Be Afraid one is very techno-orientated. And I know what Don't Be Afraid's audience is. So, you know, it has a function now. So, I, so I'm kind of refining my sound and trying to think, you know, about DJs like myself who like to do long blends and nice harmonic key matching and, you know, I care now (laughs) (laughs) um you mentioned your don't be afraid release that's your other release of 2020 so far um how did you come to release with them and what was it like for you taking a step into that slightly more like techno-y space yeah I mean I think both me and Benji Semtech, who who runs the label, we we've been in conversation for a good maybe five five years now, and and we met in a I was playing in a random basement. It could have been um, I think it was like a a place where like middle-aged Turkish men hang out and play <laughs> like whatever games they play, like backgammon or whatever. And um, I played one of these, I guess it was just illegal. And it was like a function one in this like tiny basement um, in Dalston somewhere. And I was just playing a lot of like dance mania stuff 
and Semtech came up to me and he was like, oh, I never knew you were into this kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm just tracing like house music back because I was I was into Duke and mm. footwork. But it was more Duke at that time. So I wanted to trace back to where Duke came from. So I started getting into a lot of dance mania and, you know, stuff like Steve Poindexter and that kind of stuff. Um, and I was buying a lot of records on Discogs and I was playing them out at, like, just whatever parties. And that's when we first met. And I don't know, actually, maybe we bumped into each other somewhere. And then I, and then I think he emailed me and was like, I've been thinking I might would like to have a release from you. And um, I was like, yeah, 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 cool. I, I, I like some of his stuff from his label, actually. And I was he was sending me promos and I, I would play some of them out, actually. And mm. um, so I was like, yeah, actually, that'd be a, that'd be a cool idea. Um, and this was... 2016 maybe 2015 I don't know um I, I know I was still working on distractions and I told him can you just wait a little bit um because I'm just finishing up my album and um he was like yeah cool and then yeah I remembered the day I finished distractions um you know I, ha I have a, I had a whiteboard in the studio with just a list of stuff to do and you know, his EP was on there. Um, so I was like, okay, let, let me bang out this tune. It didn't take very long. Um, I'm pretty sure, like, what I like to call the final demo was done. And I sent it to him and he was like, yeah. And that was oral suspension. And I think from the mindset of distractions, I just really wanted to make some kind of banger for the club. Um, but trying to make it techno and, um, but I didn't want to give him just a techno track because, you know, that's a bit boring, um, for me anyway. Um, so the arrangement of oral suspension kind of plays like eight bar grime. Um, so things were just... It was just eight bar, part A, part B, part A, part B, and just using the same instruments and just little variations. And yeah, he loved it. And then we released it on his dubs, um, Don't Be Afraid dubs, with a big strict remix, which is really cool because he's really cool. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so yeah, and then he was... After that kind of, I think that did a little bit, that did it all right, that did well. And, um, you know, from him as a label owner perspective. Um, so he was like, yeah, I, I would love to have a full EP from you. And yeah, we did that. And there was a lot of back and forth with that. Um, so I started that maybe... It must have been 2017, late 2017, early 2018. And um, 
Yeah, I was trying to finish this EP because um, I, I was I was pregnant and I just wanted to just tick off all the work that I needed to do before I went on maternity leave. And um, yeah, we just did it. I mean, the first track I made was Nobody and I was trying to emulate oral suspension a little bit, like have a kind of familiar aesthetic um, and and then your body came next and I was really trying to make an eight bar <laughs> gribe techno tune with that but <laughs> it didn't really work out that way it kind of turned into this um, really cute um, self-reflective electro track um, and I was trying to make like you know some of them grime tunes that just sound like electro like mm. um, I don't know something like Plastician Child or something like that um, I was trying to make something like that <laughs> um, but yeah I guess you know you can't help your feelings and, and just that just came out the way it did um, and then we toyed about releasing the OG mix of Bodied, which would surface on Laurel Halo's DJ Kicks, um, but they ended up kind of releasing it on the the vinyl version of of that series. Um, so I was like, I could do some sort of because he wasn't he wasn't. Um, he wasn't too into the OG mix. I think it. I think it sounded a bit too. Um, I don't know. I loved it, but maybe it was just a bit too hard for him, um, mm. and and for his label. And um, to be honest, that kind of annoyed me. <laughs> and I tell him that all the time, but yeah. um, um, but you know, it's his label. It's his vision, and you know, I just. I just needed to compromise and I had I hadn't really been tested like that for a while cuz usually people just say yes or no to the tune they don't make no. you go back into the tune or mm. even if you do go back in the tune you might just mess it up completely um <laughs> so I I tried and we made the roller mix and um I plugged in my 707 and just started adding bits from that machine into it and just tried to bring some air into it and some static noise and just um I'm really into like um like being in the mindset of how music travels as if it was like you know personified and like right. like all these little frequencies traveling through cables and then going through the computer and then back out into the mixer and then into something else and then coming back out. Um, I just kind of, I don't know, I'm, I, I get a bit silly like that. And um, I wanted that kind of traveling to be heard. Um, so... So I had my 707, I had it sent to a mixer with 
um, just the reverb and delay pedal and the sends and then into my audio interface and then recorded in like that and then lots of distress in processing after that <laughs> even more so I guess it was kind of traumatic for those sounds to go through all that I want to say violence um, but yeah I it kind of made that tune a little bit more darker um, to me at least um, and then I ad added an arpeggio that was like really behind the mix um, I don't know I kind of wanted it to be forefront but it, it I guess it just didn't happen and I just I like the idea of sounds kind of getting lost and then coming back in and you don't notice them come back in. And I was very aware of that while making that roller mix for Bodied. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I did that. And at this point, I must have been heavily pregnant. And then I was like, let me just, let me just do a few more club tunes. And I, then I made what kind of pain are we talking about? Because, you know, I was reading my big book on birth <sighs> and wondering, <laughs> you know, like, how bad could it be? So that's where that track came from. And yeah. I think I made Kicks Count on the same week. And that's on the Hyperdub EP. And that mm. was when Baby was really kicking. Um, <laughs> and I had this app called Kicks Count where you would tap every time the baby would kick just to make sure the right amount of kicks were happening um so yeah so it sounds like you're quite um conscious of how the arrival of your baby would impact your well the kind of usual amount of time that you would spend like creating um so was your your way of preparing for that to just like create a lot as much as you could in advance of your baby being born like I have I still don't know who my like mentors are supposed to be like what like who am I supposed to look up to who's been here before um not many women um you know in music well particularly like on my level like I'm a small to medium artist who, you know, who relies on bookings um, for, for income. And I'm like, you know, I'm worried at this point. I'm like, maybe my DJ, DJ career is over. I'm not going to be able to play for this amount of time. I don't know when I'm going to be able to make music again and sit down. Like, I packed up all my synths all my drum machines, um, everything, and it's all in storage. Um, so I was very conscious about, you know, maybe, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not, it's, I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, so I was a little bit scared. Um, so I wanted to bash out tunes and um, 
And I've never worked that hard ever on tunes before. Um, and I've kind of, up until that point, I was taking things for granted, really. Um, but, you know, when I was, like, just just preggers, I was just, I had to make, you know, I had to make at least a track a day. You know, sometimes two, sometimes three. And it was just like, boom, 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 relentless. And even... Um, like Scratcher was just like he would see it on my Instagram stories and being like another one. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you don't understand. I've just I got I got this is like my time now to just really test myself, and um, it's really cute. Like he he was really influenced by that, and that's you know that's why he's been releasing so many tunes and just working day in day out because he was just like. We're, we're all capable of doing it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Even now during COVID, we're, we're just seeing that we are just capable of making better tunes, not suffering from blocks. Like it's, it's, it's important. So yeah, I mean, all, all these tunes that are about to come out, they're all from, you know, when I was pregnant. You mentioned there not really being a blueprint for an artist like yourself to you know become a mum and there's no one really to look up to so I just wanted to make sure that you know how appreciated you are and the fact that you're speaking on it is hugely inspirational and yeah we appreciate you so thank you I'm sure there's been like a lot of lessons that you've had to learn by yourself um if you were to share one piece of advice for women who are in music particularly the audience-facing sector of the music industry who are considering motherhood, um, what would that be? Um, I don't know if I could directly answer that question, but um, the, one, the one thing that really used to annoy me um, when it came to like comments <clears throat> was, oh, I'm not technical enough. And I was just like, what the hell does that mean? Um, so I made it in my power to just be, you know, as technical as I can be with, you know, that's why I bought an Alan and Heath Zone 92, was just to, just to understand that mixer and to, um, like, prove people wrong. Um, I'm kind of, I kind of felt like, you know, like Michael Jordan in that documentary where, you know, somebody just has to say something to him <laughs> and it would just like like he would just be have to prove that person wrong you know playing with a broken foot and stuff like that um that's how I see it as well like um if I hear something about me or see something read something I know obviously it shouldn't get to somebody but um I think I thrive on that like criticism like if I see just one thing um I just have to like learn that and just and just be it basically um so yeah like there are people used to say oh but she's not technical enough or your mix downs are shit or all this kind of stuff and really and truly it's about you know, your translation and your expression coming through and you can't really be taught that. Um, so, yeah, I just use what I have 
Um, you know, I always say, like, I've got, like, bare synths or whatever, but, like, right now I've literally just got monitors and a MIDI controller. And um, one thing that I've never been good at is sampling. So mm. I've been trying to sample more and just be, try and just be, you know, I just want to be the best at everything, but obviously that's a bit hard, but, but that is my mindset. So when you tell me I can't do something, that just vexes me and, and I have to prove you mm. wrong. And um, I don't know. It's just, that's just the way it is, I suppose. And it's, I mean, it's not going to stop me. Do you know what I mean? Even, even at time when I'm like, you know, am I going to be able to make music again? I, I know that I will always be able to make music. Um, it's just, you know, it's just time. And you got to put the time in and you got to just balance, good work-life balance, you know. So would you say that you, how old's your daughter now? Nearly two um, She's 21 months, 22 months. Wow. Would you say that you've been able to find more time for yourself as an artist and sort of maybe got into a bit of a routine these days? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was, I was getting excited um, before the COVID thing happened, before the pandemic, because, um, you know, I was like, just self-care, just like working on myself and not um, having to think of another person. Do you know what I mean? It's quite, it's quite stressful sometimes. Um, And, you know, I was just, found an, an, a new love for like nature and stuff and I've been cycling more and I've been um, you know working out more and stuff like that and um, and just I don't know just you know sitting down and making tunes for me is just such a lovely thing mm. like I never realized how how lucky I am and and it's almost like a luxury but you know luxuries are there to be lived in it so um yeah we're we're getting better with the routine (laughs) I mean I'm I'm not gonna lie it's it's been pretty hard um and you have to learn a lot of things very quickly and you have to adapt and I think before the one thing that was keeping me going was music and then for me not to have it there you know on hand um was a really big test for me um Mm. so I, I realized how much I need music and how much I need to be um you know listening to tunes you know it's not just you know, making my stuff, it's, it's being um, there and being open to, um, you know, even just to um, offer um, experiences or um, like little things to, to other artists, um, mm. you know. Let's go back to something that you mentioned earlier about... Um record labels so 
we've spoken about you releasing with Hyperdub and then you mentioned the kind of back and forth with Don't Be Afraid. And I was wondering, um, how have you observed this kind of role of a record label and how have you seen it shift or evolve in the time that you've been releasing music? Yeah, I mean, with Bandcamp kind of popping off, it's mm. it's been really interesting because, um, like, I'm now starting to think, you know, maybe maybe I don't need labels, a label, um, and I mean, not just now. I mean, I still feel, you know, with the Don't Be Afraid release, that, that's gone into different hands and, um, and, and gone to a different audience. And I think that role of a label is still important. And um, so I guess in, in that respect, in the, in the short term, yeah, labels are here and they're cool. But in the long term, I think something's something's going to have to change. Perhaps it, they're going to have to start thinking a bit more creatively about how they're going to keep artists. Um, and me, as a producer who is seeing money coming through Bandcamp, this is all exciting to me because... I've never had that. I've never had direct money into my account mm. so quickly. You know, with labels, you get your royalty statement twice a year or quarterly if you're lucky. And, you know, now I'm, you know, I'm not so scared and I don't really have to think of money all the time. That's like the worst thing you want to, you know you want to think about you just even as a person in in this city in this country and you know um so I, I don't love money I don't you know there's I don't want to be super rich um I just want to be comfortable I just want to be successful and um if something like Bandcamp can offer me that at my big age Here's me talking about, you know, record sales as an established artist, but you know, I'm still I'm still exploited, I'm still underpaid. Um so if I can sell stuff directly to my fans, that's all good, right? <laughs> like why does it need to go through another avenue or different avenues? So what would you look for if you were to um, enter into some sort of partnership with a label nowadays like what would you hope that labels could offer artists and in, in a, a more fair or more open kind of a way I mean I, I don't have much experience on a major I've, I've always signed songs and albums to independence um so I don't really know what it's like to be on a major, but I can imagine that could be long sometimes. But mm. I, don't, I don't know. It's just, you know, whenever I've released on Hyperdub, it's, you know, it's not like here's a contract, 
you have to give me five albums. It's not like that. It's like, do you want to do an album? Yeah, okay. Here's an al- Here's a contract for one album. So mm. it goes... So you're not thinking too far ahead. You're not thinking um, you're in debt with this label now for five albums or three albums or whatever. You just have to make this album and we'll see how it goes. So I like that. Um, I think, I don't know, physical music is obviously, you know, it's been dead. Um, So... I don't know. I really don't know. Because obviously I don't like the way, I don't like the situation with with streaming. Um, Mm. But at the same time, I know that's how people listen to music and you can't deny that at the same time. Um, But I don't know. Like me as a music fan, I have all those things. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I I don't buy records anymore, but I still listen to vinyl. Um, I'm still actively buying music on iTunes, Bandcamp, wherever I can find it. You know, I was going back to what I was saying. I just want the damn tune. Do you know what I mean? As a DJ, <laughs> you just want the tune to play. So I'm buying music, but I'm also discovering music on streaming services. So, so in that respect, I don't know. I th- I said somewhere before that they're important, but they're not really that important. You're going to find a tune regardless, but it does maybe open doors to other artists that you might have bypassed or whatever. Um, mm. So I see it as discovery because I'm not getting paid from these people. You know, they're not giving me any money. Um, and that's a bit annoying. I would like to see people start paying people to curate playlists and maybe do mixes or, or something. Or for some of those artists, even when you play an art, a producer, a produ- uh, an artist's music in a mix, like a way for you to get paid as a DJ and a way for them to get paid as well. Mm-hmm. Like, why can't we have that? But I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't have the answer, but I've, I have questions and unfortunately it all revolves around money so maybe we should just delete money in it <laughs> I don't know. i'm up for it yeah i'm up for it <laughs> um speaking about mixes um i was wondering how you've been approaching things like creating mixes in the context of lockdown and us not really being in the club um for the mixes that I've heard, like your truants one, I feel like you've been loyal to that dedication to blends that you bring when you're in the club. Um, how have you been approaching mixes and what's the priority for making mixes in lockdown? Yeah, blends are always the first thing for me. Um, I'm always thinking, okay, I've got this banger or whatever tune I like. Um, how am I going to blend it? What tune am I going to blend it in? I'm that's 24-7 for me. That's always going on in my head. Um, so, yeah, when I, when I step to the decks, I just, you know, I just want it to be pleasant for everyone. I want it to be exciting. Um, I, want, I want it to be, I'm not going to lie, I want it to be technical as well. I want it mm. to be cute. I want it to be dynamic. And I just want it to be like physical I want you to be able to dance to it 
and I want to be able to dance to it. For me, this is how I play music at home when I play dance music or whatever club music. This is how I play at home. And I'm dancing my head off. You know, I want you to be doing the same. I'm trying to translate that to you. Are you missing the club? Of course. <laughs> what kind of role would you say that the club has played in your in your life, but also in your journey as an artist? Well, you know, recently I've been on maternity leave. I haven't been out much for so. So for this to happen, as well as all that, it's just you know I'm. I, I realised how much I just love being in a dark room and just listening to tunes and being with my mates. It's just simple as that's it. Isn't it? It's just, it's your social, it's your, I don't know. I like to learn something every time I go out. Um, yeah, so for that to be taken away from me, another thing. <laughs> um, it's, you know, it's, it's challenging, but... Um, I mean, it's all good. I don't know. Sorry. We'll get there. We'll get back in the club at some point. Um, what are your hopes for the rest of this year? Um, I guess priority number one, hopefully back in the club at some point. Yeah, I, I mean, it'll be nice to play before the year's done, but I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm really, really itching to have some interaction interaction with an audience and I don't know I might I might start streaming um you know when the new bookcase arrives the Dexter yeah, yeah I think maybe maybe something like that would be interesting but you know I'm always thinking I'm always thinking about money it's really annoying um like why can't I just do things for fun Maybe I will. Maybe I'll just exhaust that and just give you a mix like every week just to do everyone's head in. I don't know. No, we need that. That wouldn't do anyone's <laughs> head in. We, we do need that. Yeah.